Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcast blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we are rewinding back to April the 19th. 2021, so we're only going back about two years on this one. The original title of this episode was, Is It Even Possible to Wake People Up at This Point? Um, kind of framing this episode as to the time that it was done in. It's a much more recent episode than any of the rewinds that I left for you, and it's also the last rewind. I will be back Monday with a brand new episode and returning to our regularly scheduled programming, but April 19, 2021, we've been dealing with the whole COVID debacle for a year and a couple months at this point, and it had become immediately apparent, immediately apparent to anybody who wasn't part of the COVIDian cult that just said, trust the science, believe Fauci, get your shot. Like Anybody with a modicum of common sense applied to this, at this point looked and went, we've all been lied to. By 2021, if you hadn't figured out we've been lied to, you probably still haven't figured it out, okay? 2021, we had a year of it behind us. We knew it was bullshit. These stories about, oh, they're, they're having refrigerator tents at the hospital in Houston because they're out of room for dead bodies. It was all bullshit, and we all knew it. We all knew this is not what a pandemic looks like. We all knew it. We all knew it was bullshit. And so the framing of this question... Is it possible to wake people up at this point? Was vastly different from you guys in the audience than it would have been. You know, we spent a lot of this rewind series in about 2013, 2014, 2015. This question would have meant something different. There was a lot of excuses, I guess is the word, you could make for people who you couldn't wake up in 2015, 2016, 2017. By the time we got into, you know, early 2020s, a couple of years, a year and a half so into this COVID debacle, and certainly today now in 2023, if someone trusts the system, if someone trusts the drug companies, if someone trusts the government, if someone trusts the economic system, if somebody trusts the oligarchs, if somebody trusts big pharma, if somebody trusts big ag, like, after all this, you might say probably need to write them off. Probably need to write them off. And my response is, yeah, you should, sort of. And what do I mean by that? It is never a bad time to speak and teach the truth. I guess if somebody's pointing a gun at you and says, if you open your mouth, I'll blow your brains out, that might not be an opportune time to open your mouth. Okay? Because you might want to live to fight another day. But in general... There's never a bad time in history to speak the truth, to teach the truth. And so we all know what the truth is. We all know the system is rigged. We all know that the people in power are looking out for themselves and their friends and not you. We all know that there is no science once you use the phrase trust the science, that that's not science anymore. When somebody says, I believe in the science, I trust the science, whatever, no, you don't. Because every person that says that, when you say, tell me the science, they don't know. It's an article of faith, and science and faith do not go together. It's the whole point. We all know this. 
We all know that they use fear and panic to control you. We all know, if you're listening to this, you know that people are manipulated constantly by government, by industry, by media. That it's a it's a it's an unholy trinity. Government, media, and industry. When I say industry, all of it. Big pharma, big ag, all of it. The oligarchs of the world. We we all know this. And then you have to you have to stand in awe at the person that has no clue. Anyone at this point that can't look back at the videos that came out of China in late nineteen, early twenty that I covered and I was attacked for saying they were fake, where people were like falling over in the streets and stuff, and, and can't look at that now and go, that was obviously fake. You might think it's over. There's nothing that can be done. I want to compare it in this new intro to what it's like when you plant something in the ground as a seed. That is our job in waking people up. It is not to be 100 fully fully respon- 100% fully responsible for their awakening. It's not our job, and it can't be. Because every person awakens differently, and the next person who you write off, that you plant a seed in, could wake up a year or two or three from now, and maybe a greater force for good than you could ever imagine yourself being. You just don't know. And they have to have that organic awakening on their own. They have to, like Neo in the Matrix, they have to go down the chute of slime all on their own. And they have to figure out what to do with that freedom once they have it without you telling them to. But when you plant a seed, you can rest assured that if you plant enough seeds, a certain number of them will germinate. Of those that germinate, a certain number will reach maturity. And a certain average number of days after they germinate, they will be likely in the climate you planted that seed to produce some form of a fruit. Okay? Unless it's like a lettuce, then it's just going to produce a plant. But there's going to be a harvestable time frame. Right on the back of the seeds, it'll say days to maturity from set out 75 days. Yeah? Okay, but imagine now you're planting a lot more seeds, and you don't know what they are. They come in a little encapsulated globule, like a seed ball. And you're going to walk around planting these seeds. And one of them might be a burr oak. It'll take 25 years minimum before there'll be a nut mass drop off that tree. Another one might be a radish. It'll be ready to pick in 25 days. You don't know which seeds you have, how many of each seed, where you planted them. All you can do is walk around with a giant sack of seed balls and go, eh, something could grow there, bloop, bloop. The vast majority of those seed balls that you throw out will not ever grow. And then one will be this beautiful tomato plant in 70 days, covered with green and red tomatoes. Some are already ripe, some getting ripe, and it'll have a great season, and it'll be done because it's an annual. And another one, you might come back five years and not even realize that that seedling tree, you know, that's, that's 10 feet tall, is even the tree that you don't even know it's your tree. In 50 years from now, you're gone, and it's dropping huge mass of edible acorns every season because you planted the seed. If you're going to fancy yourself as waking people up, understand that's all you can do is plant the seed. And you wouldn't 
put the pepper seed or the tomato seed or even the radish seed or lettuce seed in the ground, water it, step back and go, grow! Not if you're mentally sane, you wouldn't. You'd go away. You'd leave. You wouldn't sit there and watch it like, like your own version of a time-lapse camera. You wouldn't worry about every single second. Is it coming up yet? Is it coming up yet? Is it coming up yet? In fact, if you saw somebody behave this way, you'd say this person is mentally unstable. You, you, might, you might even call the authorities and say, I think this guy needs a trip to a wacky room for a while. Well, what was he doing? He put a bunch of pepper seeds in the ground, and every five seconds he's checking, he's pulling the dirt back to see if they're growing, and he's talking to them, and he wants to know why they haven't produced peppers yet. I don't think a guy like that needs to be locked up, but I don't think I'm hanging out with him either. Okay, That's not a rational thing. So when you meet somebody and you're trying to wake them up to anything, economic realities, supply chains, basic preparedness, uh, the system of, of manipulation and control that they live in, etc., if you expect that I'll just say these things and they'll immediately be on board, then you're not behaving any, any more rational than the person who's digging up the pepper seed every five seconds to see if it germinated yet. I mean, you think about when you plant seeds in your garden, don't you kind of forget about it? Like you, you get to actually do some planting on a Saturday, maybe you put some plants in, but you also do some direct seeding. And you kind of forget about it, especially if you have automated irrigation or something like that, or you just turn the irrigator on you know, every morning or something. And then like you know, about seven days later... Next Saturday comes around, you're out there, you go, oh, yeah, look at all the beans coming up. That's right, I planted beans last week. And the whole time that you were laying in bed asleep or doing your job or whatever, that seed was underground taking in moisture, pulling on its reserves, expanding as it pulled in moisture, eventually rupturing, and that little seedling came up out of the center of it, and it pushed its way through the dirt, and it's very vulnerable right then. If you went out, like, just as it was coming up out of the ground, he yanked it, I said, grow faster! You pull it out of the ground, you kill it. It's so easy to do that with people when you're trying to wake them up. You start to see the light in their eyes that they're getting it. That's the best time to shut your freaking cake hole. Shut your meat hole. Shut it, shut it, shut it, shut it. Well, what if they ask me questions? People ask questions when they're ready for the answer. So you have to determine if the question was a question that they want an answer for, or a question that want that's supposed to make you shut up. And when it's a question they legitimately are seeking an answer for, you give them a very simple answer, simplest and briefest possible, and you shut up again. And when you hear them asking you a question that is clearly an adversarial question, you say, you know, this is probably something you should think about a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I give you an answer to that I don't, I don't think you're going to like it right now. And when they say, oh, no, no, give me the answer. Okay, now you have permission. So you give them a very abbreviated answer, and then you change the, you change the discussion. Hey, who do you think the Steelers are going to draft in the third round this time? Whatever. I don't care. Get off it. Let it go. Put the seed in the ground, water it in, get the hell out of the way, let the plant grow. This actually has a very high propensity for success across time. Because what will happen is that person... You've touched, and this is something else you have to understand. And, and and we'll go ahead and drop into this you know, past episode. But what you're asking someone to do is going to be very, very, very uncomfortable for them. Very uncomfortable. Imagine a dental procedure that you don't want to have, and five minutes ago you didn't know it was necessary. You're still not sure it's necessary, and I'm a dentist, and I want to do it right 
now. You're probably like, wait a minute. Doc, I need to go get a second opinion on this. I don't know if I really need to do this or not. This is expensive and painful and uncomfortable. All right, I'm going to tell you, no matter what procedure you came up with in your head, it's a dental procedure you don't want to do, which is probably all of them, the cognitive dissonance at accepting that you've been lied to your entire life about where money comes from, about what money is, about who actually runs things in this country, about how close to oblivion we are at all times, about how fragile the human condition is, about what a monkey bullshit shit throwing, you know, monkey shit throwing game politics is, all of it. It's way less comfortable than a, than a dental procedure, which will end fairly quickly and you'll go home and maybe you're sore for a day, but then it's gone. This won't go away. And subconsciously, the person knows it won't go away when they agree to look at it, when they agree to accept it. They know this is permanent. They know there is no going back. They know you cannot be replugged into the Matrix, not because they saw the movie, because we know this intuitively. If you understand monetary creation and a fractional reserve system, and you know that when the bank loans you money, they don't give you money. They create money because you promise to pay it back. Once you know that, you can't not know it anymore. I guess you can get Alzheimer's or something and forget, but in, in, in general, you can't forget. I dare you. Try to for, if you know how money, money is created, I dare you to forget by the end of the day how money is created and not be able to answer the question as to how money is created properly. And just say the government makes it. It's backed by gold. Whatever you thought it was. If you know the Federal Reserve is a private entity, not a government organization, you can't unknow that. You can never go back to believing the government prints the money. Because you know that they don't. Once you understand the party due system in the House of Representatives, you know that your new congressman, no matter how pure their heart, the first thing they're going to get when they show up for work is a three-ring binder with a group of donors in it, and they're going to have to raise a certain amount of money, or they're not going to be able to do anything at all in Congress, other than vote up and down, yes or no. They won't be on any committees, they won't steer anything, they won't sponsor any legislation, they won't do shit, and they won't even get basic funds to run for re-election. They'll have to raise a significant amount of money and sell their soul before the House, their own party, will let them do anything. Once you know that, you can't unknow it. Once you know that our grocery stores exist on a just-in-time inventory, yeah? Once you know that, once you understand what just-in-time inventory means, you can't not know it anymore. You can't forget it. You can't make it go away. You can't get that out of your head, ever. Now, you might not walk around thinking about it nonstop, but when something comes up about supply chains and the food supply, you're going to immediately pull that file and go, yeah, it takes one interruption and the shelves are empty for a week or more. And then you also know, because you've seen it now, when everybody panics, it, it exasperates the problem. So you can't not know that. You can't not know that. Once you know that you were lied to about medications and you were told they were dangerous and you know that they're not dangerous... You can't not know that anymore. Once you were lied about and you were, t you were told that a medication was safe and you know that it's not, you can't unknow that. Once you know that this so-called COVID vaccine 
doesn't actually prevent infection or transmission. You can't unknow it. Once you know it has tremendous numbers of side effects and plenty of people have been seriously injured and many have died from taking it, you can't unknow it. No amount of you can trust the doctors or it's rare will ever make that go away. You know it. Now, the reason I did this to you in this new intro, I want you to think about it all over again in a different way. I want you to go back to when you were asleep in the Matrix. Before you knew all this. Before you knew it all. Before you knew all the things or even some of the things that I've told you. And if any of them are new to you, trust me, they're all true. I don't make bullshit up. Now I want you to go forward in time and I want you to think about how awful what you know about the world really is. And I want you to try to go back to the blissful sleep before you took the red pill. And I want you to think about how simple life was back then. How easy it all was. Now, I don't mean it was physically easy, that you never struggled to pay a bill or anything, but what just think about the things you never even thought about or worried about. Isn't there a piece of you, at least a small part, that says, man, I don't know if I would have opened up this door if I understood the full ramifications of it at the time that I did. The thing is, you did understand. Maybe you could have articulated it, but you knew it was a one-way door. That once you walked through it, you'd never go back to the other side. And whether you came at it from an economic concept, or a political concept, or a world order concept, or like just a basic supply mindset, natural disaster, it doesn't matter. Whatever brought you to the door, you knew when you opened it and you stepped through it, it was a one-way process and that there would be more doors. And that every one of those doors, once you'd gone through one, you'd go through them all eventually. You'd open, you would never be able to see it and not open it and walk through it and see what's, and you knew every one of them was one way. You didn't know the ramifications of what it all meant, but you knew it, and it's why it was very hard. You also knew that you had to admit something. You were wrong. You'd been fooled. You'd been bamboozled. That your crazy uncle, or this crazy dude on the internet, this stupid redneck duck farmer with a podcast, whoever it was, that you thought was just a little bit off, a little bit wacky, was right. Holy shit, he was right. My crazy uncle was right. He said the Federal Reserve was private. I looked it up. It is. I'm sure it's okay. But then it was a seed. It was a seed. But I, I, I want to know more. And when you're told, shut up, don't look. You don't need to see it. Well, now I really got to know more. And once you pulled on the thread, the whole tapestry unwound. So when you are trying to lead somebody, try to think back to your first door that you opened and how far you've come since then and realize the insanity of trying to bring someone from zero to where you are in your journey in a single conversation it'll never happen plant the seed water it in walk away with that I will be back on Monday I hope you guys enjoyed this rewind series I think I put together a good group a lot of different variety in it for you 
And uh, with that, let's go ahead and rewind back now. Again, April 19th, 2021. Is it even possible to wake people up at this point? With that, let's start digging into this. I want to start out with a quote. And you might imagine, I've chosen a quote from the movie, The Matrix. This is actually from Matrix Reloaded. The architect said this. He said, hope is the quintessential human delusion, simultaneously the source of your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. I think this is the heart of what I wanted to talk to you about today. And it wasn't like I found this quote and then I wanted to talk about it. I was like, this is what I want to talk about. And I went to try to find a quote and I just put into Google matrix quotes. And when I read this one, I went like, that's it. That's it. This is what I'm trying to get at to you today. This, this, this quote of the day will be the Cliff Notes version of the entire show. We get into this place where we actually do wake up and we think something has to be done. We have to fight back. And then our natural human instinct is to look for an ideology or a guru or a program or something. Think about any time you've ever had a problem with something. Like, you needed to lose weight, so what did you do? Did you just start eating less food? No, you went out and you researched things and you looked for a program, a diet, a routine, an exercise, something that you could do to solve your problem. It's what we do. We identify a problem, then we seek a solution. The problem comes when we misidentify the problem. So if we go look at something like weight loss, we may misidentify the reason that we're overweight, and therefore whatever solution we come to is only going to make us more miserable, more upset, and in time, even if we lose a little bit of weight going in, we'll end up fatter than ever before. This is what happens to so many people when it comes to waking up to this world that we live in. So with that in mind, I want you to start thinking about it this way. Like I said in my intro segment, Neo had already awoken in the movie, before he got the red pill. Neo had already started to figure out things aren't what they seem. Things aren't what they seem. There's something not right. He began to dig into basically hacking as a computer hacker. And that, because of the way the Matrix was in the movie, it, it led him to start figuring some things out and also to kind of attract the attention of people who would have really preferred that he not do that. So not only did the resistance realize what he was up to, so did the oppressor. And what I really want you to think about is that fact. He had already woken up. He just didn't know the full story. He didn't know how bad it really was. But he knew it wasn't right. And even then, the pill. When Morpheus offers him the pill, it's a choice. You can take the blue pill, and you can go back to sleep. You can take the red pill, and we can see how far the rabbit hole goes. We can see the whole truth if you if you just take this red pill. And in the movie, that result was instantaneous. He takes the pill, kind of blacks out for a minute, wakes up in this horrible dystopian reality, this, this pot of goo with this thing in the back of his head, and gets dumped out, and for some reason you get dumped out like... I don't know, like a water slide ride or something, like as though uh, the uh, the dead body would need to be conveniently removed that way, and the ship picks him up, and he goes off, and he learns to fight all this evil. And there's this group of comrades waiting for him to help him become what he's supposed to become. 
That's hope. And it's false hope in this world if we bring that reality back to the way things really are. That's not how it works. We don't wake up to realize something's wrong and have anyone or anything that can give us a simple, quick thing that we pop like a pill and immediately see everything for the way that it is. But what made that a stellar storytelling medium in the movie was it is how it works. Because the pill was a choice. The pill was a choice. And this is the real choice that we we come down with in this. We wake up and we realize something's not right. We start digging into it and we start to learn some things. When you do that, you are going to find some things that are as outlandish as the true matrix in the movie. And most of them aren't true. Most of them are nonsense. Most of them are gobbledygook. And you're going to find out a lot of things that you're going to really wish weren't true, that there's going to be overwhelming evidence that they are true. Some mundane things like the education system is not an educational system. It is an indoctrination system. The pills, the blue and the red pill will be made up of the reality that if you want an excuse to go back to sleep, if you want to convince yourself this is all a bunch of tin foil hat nutter crap, there's enough of it there that you can consume a little bit of that, dabble in some you know really wild conspiracy theory, convince yourself that since that's what some of the other people say, that it, it's not real, swallow the blue pill and go back to sleep. I also want you to think about something else in the movie. Minds were only awoken in the movie when young and when they were already waking up. They actually, if I remember right in the first movie, they said something to the effect that Neo was a special case. Like, generally, they don't even try to wake somebody up at his age. It's one of the oldest minds we ever woke up or something like that. Something like that, I seem to remember. And I think there is some level of the case for that. The longer you've lived accepting everything at face value that you're told, that's, that's programmed into you, the harder it is for you to think independently, to break free. But this metaphor tells us an awful lot about life and why we should stop trying to wake people up. If you think about it, and I know all of us have had the time where we've like been like Bill or Tom or Fred or uncle or aunt, you know, somebody says something. And it sounds like a neo line. It sounds like they've begun to become open to a thing. And then it might be a thing that we actually know a lot about. And I don't mean we think we know. We don't believe. We actually know. It's, it could be a topic that we've actually researched. But if that person hasn't actually started to wake up, you can give them the most accurate, articulate, fact-field argument you can come up with, and it will fail to reach the person who does not want to be reached. It won't matter. You can sit there and say, look, I'm going to give you a fact. And you can give them a fact, and they can say they don't believe it. And you can say, before we even go any further, let's sit down. Let's use a computer. Let's look this up. Let's verify this fact. And they can verify the fact, and they can see that it's true. And then we can do this step by step by step everywhere. Even if we can get them to be that willing to examine what we're telling them. If they've chosen not to believe, nothing will change their mind. Nothing. To the point where I would say some people are so latched into this, if God, who or whatever God is, were to come down and appear before them and say, my child, 
everything this other being is telling you is the facts. They'd say, nah, no. Nope, not. There's some, some kind of trick going on here. This isn't real. Right? The reality, the reality is so against what the person has chosen in their perception bias that it's easier to believe an illusion than it is the truth. Because the truth itself is almost as horrifying as we're all in a pod in a tube of goo with a, with a, a giant thing shoved in the back of our neck acting as a battery. If, you, if you've believed otherwise, and I don't mean otherwise that we're the battery, but if you've believed otherwise, if you've believed counter to the reality that we live in today, if you've believed in red, right, and blue, if you've believed that we are always the good guys in America, if you believe the cops are always the good guys, right? Like, and I think it's just just as hard for people who've always believed the cops are the bad guys. And they don't have any nuance for anything within these things. Where if you've believed in an absolutism, and you are now looking at the subjective reality that there is no full one hundred percent true story being told by anybody because everybody has an agenda. It becomes much easier to continue to believe the fantasy than to even examine the reality. Most people in the world would choose to be a lion in a zoo. If they were a lion, and they understood what it was to be a lion, and you said to them, well, you can be well-fed and protected and have complete security in this little make-believe habitat, and somebody will bring you giant, you know, Lobs of red, raw, beautiful meat every day. You won't have to run anything down. You won't get kicked in the face by a gazelle because even lions can be seriously injured or even injured to the point where they die just in hunting. You won't ever have to fight with any other lions. If you're a male lion, you won't have to, you won't have to, to battle to remain in a pride. You won't grow old and one day have one of your sons sink his teeth into your neck and end your existence to take over. You, you won't have to do any of that. But you won't be free. You won't be running on the plains. You won't be able to fully express yourself as a lion. But you'll be well cared for. If, you, if you, something happens to you, we'll fix it. People will come and look at you, but you'll be able to live your own life pretty much the way you want. You'll have no privacy, but you'll have incredible Security. Most people would choose to be the lion in the zoo. And this is very, very hard for people to accept. If you're someone who never would. If you're someone who never would. I think in a lot of ways it's like trying to understand a person who's gay if you're not gay. Like, I'm not gay, so I can't pretend to understand how a gay person feels about someone of the same sex. I don't, I don't understand it. I can't quite get there. That they're, I don't have anything against that person, but I, I can't pretend, and I don't want to pretend that I understand. Right? It's just they have an attraction to, to something or someone of the same sex, which to me is not a natural way for humans to behave. I don't, I'm not judging. I'm saying it's not normal in that it's, it's, it's the far, farly, far into the minority of people. Right? I think that the majority of people actually want to be the lion in the zoo. Well, if you want to be the lion running free on the Serengeti, if you want to be the lion that risks everything to be what a lion really is, if you are the being that would say, if you come try to take me out of my jungle, you might die in the jungle with me, because I'm not going. 
I think that person struggles in the same way to understand how the majority of people are so happy to be domesticated animals. Because that's what they are. The average person is a domesticated animal, and that's by design. They want you domesticated. Domesticated animals are obedient. Think about the lion. Let's go back to the lion for a second. You go out on the, the Serengeti, and we're not in like a halfway in, halfway out lion here, right? We're not talking about a lion that sees people every day. We're not talking about a lion that park rangers, you know, occasionally when things are hard, they kind of, you know, they find a dead gazelle somewhere and they throw it in the back of the lorry and they back up and they kick it off and give it to them, right? We're talking about a lion that lives like a lion that sees humans as a potential danger and a potential source of prey. You Are you going to walk up to that lion on his own territory? And the answer is hell no. But people walk up to lions and feed them like house cats and zoos. Occasionally it all goes wrong because a lion still is a lion. But think of how compliant and complacent that animal is. I took my grandson to a big cat rescue. They have tigers and you know, cougars and lions and everything at this place. It's in Wiley, Texas. Really amazing place. And they, they tell you don't, you know, and basically they have as a cage that holds the animal in. And it's like a cage moat. There's like a second cage. All the cages are double cage. So there's an area where you could walk in where you're inside, like for feeding and taking care of them and moving them around. But as a person, you, you, you're not separated by glass or anything like that. You get a very good view of the animal, but there's this, this gap of about three feet where you couldn't, no matter how stupid you are, you can't get yourself bit or clawed or pulled into the cage by the line. You can't reach. An average human being cannot stick their arm through that gap and get to where the, the cat is. But handlers go in there. And they, want, they don't want to create the problem they're trying to solve. And the problem they're trying to solve is people are stupid and go, you mean I can buy a baby tiger and keep it in my apartment? And they don't want you to really understand how, how, how domesticated those animals have become because they still can eat your face off. But I watched a guy kind of slip for a minute, one of the employees. And this tiger, big male tiger, was like right, right by the cage. And he put his hand up. And that tiger responded to him the way my cat Fox, my big old freaking tabby house cat, responds to me. He rubbed his face on that man's hand. There was pure affection there. Right? That, that tiger, in spite of the fact that he still is a tiger has become heavily domesticated, and now you can do things with him. He's still dangerous, because people are dangerous. But you can do things with him you are not going to do with a tiger in the jungle in India unless you want to end up as tiger poop, right? So when we look at humanity, and we realize there's people that want to control others, and you have human beings who are the most cunning and dangerous creatures on the planet, no one is as dangerous as a human being that wants you dead. No one. There, you know, an animal has a limited number of ways and a limited number of opportunities in which they can kill you. Think about how dangerous a human is. I just want you to, for you, for a second, I want you to imagine there is a human being on this planet that you have decided, no matter the risk, you want them dead. Can you kill them? Odds are... Even if it was somebody like a highly protected dignitary or something, you probably could. But if they were a, like just an average person, even an important person, there's literally nothing that can protect a person 
from having another person who's decided they're going to die and has calculated it and decided, I'm going to figure out a way to make it maximum potential for success, there's a high probability the bad guy's going to win and you're going to die. That's how dangerous a human is. And there's a thousand ways to do it, right? Cut somebody's brakes. Right? Put a rattlesnake in their, in their, uh, in their mailbox. There's two examples of no animal can sort that out. No lion, no tiger, no bear, right? Can sort that, those two things out. And there's a thousand more we can come up with. So you're dealing with a, a group of people that want to control a species. And a species that is incredibly cunning, incredibly adaptable. The only way you can do this is domestication. Look at like bovines, right? Like cattle. Wild cattle are incredibly dangerous. And they're nowhere near as smart as a human. But they will smash you into oblivion. But yet we can make a cow so docile that it will go where it's led. Like a dog. We do this through domestication. We take the animal. If it's if like a first generation, it's got a, it cannot be raised by wild parents. So we take the young animal from its parents. Right? Hmm. Why do you think they want mandatory pre-K? They want to get your kids earlier and younger. We don't let them have too much interaction with their parents, especially before the parent is domesticated. We control when they eat, how they eat. We give them pleasure and pain as the two means of reinforcing the behavior that we want to see. Sound like school? And if we do that for several generations, we don't have to separate the child from the parent much anymore, only for their training. We can let the parent, you know, suckle the young, young calf. We let the parent worry about protecting it from the wolf. But in the end, we're still going to reinforce the training with the calf so the calf will become a good member of the herd. This is where you live. This is society today. And when we look at that, I think people are not woken up by others. Rather, by their life experiences, and I also think their mental predisposition. I don't think anybody can wake up from this. We've all, if, we've, if you work with animals, you've, we've all had, over time, animals that were less subject to domestication than others, or more into independent thought. Some of them are the best animals you can work with. My dog, Charlie, my buddy David, says he's 10% human. Because there's places where he makes his own decisions, and he's got a personality, and it's, it's not a normal dog. It's incredibly rewarding, but there's limits to how much control you can exert over an animal like that. Now, add the brains of a real human. It becomes very, very difficult. And so I think unless you have the disposition, something in you that makes you the kind of person who's going to start to notice the problems on your own, no... Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can get to you. Nobody can red pill you. I don't think it's actually a thing. And I think we should stop trying. That doesn't mean we should shut up. I mean, obviously, I do this show. I've been doing it for 13 years. I'm not going to stop. What I'm saying is, instead of targeting people, we should put our messages out there. We should evolve as much as we can. And we should understand that there is so much available to anybody seeking it that it is never going to be a lack of information that's the problem. If anything, there might be too much information in some ways today. Because like I said, a lot of people would really rather eat the blue pill. And if you give them away, 
If you give them a few things they can cling to, well, then it's, it becomes easy. I think once they wake up, we can help them, as we can. But I think we've got to get to a point now where we've got to realize if we want to advance our own life, if we don't want to waste our life energy, the sleeping should be left to enjoy the illusion. Because I want to talk to you about what happens when a person does wake up. I think we've all probably been through this in our lives. And then it's a lot like, remember those books, Choose Your Own Adventure books? If you're an 80s kid, you probably remember these. It'd be like, you know, you're driving a race car and the motor's overheating, and but you're out of gas in the middle of the desert. Do you, A, wait for the car to cool down, or B, dump the gas in the car? And you say, A, wait for it to cool down, and then turn to page 61, and you turn to page 61, and it says, after cooling down, you add gas to the engine, and your car's going back down the road. Or you say, dump it in, and it, it explodes, and you die, and your, your story's over, and you start again, right? I think we all have those moments in this journey, if we start this journey where we either end up going back to sleep or we end up going off the deep end. And this is what I, I've seen the most of, and I've seen this with all types of quote-unquote waking up. And I wonder if, you know, some of the people in the woke culture, the canceled mafia culture, etc., I think some of them actually have some valid points. I don't agree with their means or their method or their total delusionary shit, but I wonder if they're just people that woke up and went off the deep end in the other direction. Because this is what I see, and it, I, I see similarities in both groups. They wake up, and the first thing they develop, when they kind of take a, a full pill of something, right, and start to figure out, hey, look, and it could be libertarianism, just, hey, the government shouldn't be making all of our decisions. Or, hey, look, really, this, the things we're doing are unsustainable, and we need to change, right? No matter what it is, they get some form of what you would call Messiah complex, Right? like spreading the good news in an evangelical way, they, because they were ready for whatever it was that did it, they become convinced that if other people just knew that, they'd wake up too. Right? When, when, when they don't realize at that point that maybe they've been ready for a long time, and they've been testing different pills, and they found one, and boom, it woke them up. So they're like, yes, this explains everything. So then they're like, well, if I just tell enough people, then enough people will do it. And that goes to the next thing that happens. And that is, first off, because they are waking to this horror, everything seems worse than it is. And the resistance they receive from people who they're trying to wake up with their Messiah complex or their evangelical complex is adds to that belief. Oh my God, these people are so lost. Everything's lost. So then they go from there to, well, I have to find an answer, a solution, a hope that someone can fix it. And let me go back to our quote of the day. Hope is the quintessential human delusion, simultaneously the source of your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. So it's good to have hope, but I think it's bad to have hope in the wrong place. So libertarian's a classic example, right? People become a libertarian, they find out there's actually a libertarian party. Holy crap, and it isn't what I thought it was, and they're for all these wonderful things, and I was always a libertarian, but nobody told me. Well, if I go tell people, they'll understand, and everybody will want to do this, and then they don't. And they don't, so they get frustrated. Then, when that fails to work, they start to panic, and then they'll follow extreme voices. They go into the world of Alex Jones. They're turning the frogs gay, man! Like that world, right? 
And they end up believing like a group of or maybe every conspiracy theory and 100% of it. Not just, hey, maybe there's something here. And so they follow these extreme voices. And then there's really kind of three different outcomes of that. They go into that world, that netherworld of crazy town forever. Or they wash out and go back to sleep. Or they mature into reality. And I want you to just right now understand something. There's only one person that you ever get to have any real influence over if it comes to that point, which one of those three paths they take. And you guessed it, it's you. You are, you are no more going to be able to talk your friend who got the Messiah complex and went off to crazy town and is convinced, you know, that it's lizard reptilian aliens that are running the show and Hillary Clinton's really a reptilian alien and, you know, that person, you'll no more pull them out of that world than you'll wake up your brother-in-law who's completely asleep in the Matrix. You don't get any control there. You only control yourself. And that's why this is important. You, the truth is, you must come to accept, you have to come to accept this or you might as well just plug back in. You might as well, like they tell you you can't, like once you take the red pill, you can't eat the blue pill. That's bullshit. It's very easy to put yourself to sleep in this world. The, the, the world is full of sedatives. The world is full of things to lull you back into a sense of compliance. It's easy. It, it's not hard to go back in. It's not hard to forget everything that you've learned. It's not hard to convince yourself that it's all not true. It's actually really easy to believe the government really does care about you. It's really run by people. And we really can fix things if we just get the right people in office. It sounds so much better than... Nothing you do will change what government does in reality. And government will always seek more power and more control over its people, period, the end. That's a horrible truth. So it's much easier to accept it. Well, it's not completely true. And so these things, all these things I'm about to give you here in this segment, are the things you have to accept so that you can spend your life force and your life energy doing things that will actually make your life better. And give you more control in a world where you have so little control over so many things until you wake up. And even then, there, you, will, you have to accept there will be some things that you will have to just accept you will not control. You will not change. The first is most people want to be led, controlled, and protected. I know I kind of covered that with the lion analogy already, but it's absolutely the case. When you go Messiah complex on something that you figured out, and I, I hear it in so many ways, how do I tell people about the government? How do I tell people about vaccines? How do I pe tell people about libertarianism? How do I tell people about preparedness? How do I? You don't. You don't. You, if you want to be a content creator, if you want to be a writer, a videographer, anything like that, you go speak your truth. And I know people say, there's no such thing as your truth, there's the truth, and there's a lie. No. There is your truth. There is your truth. Your truth is your sincere beliefs based on the information that you have at the time. That doesn't mean there isn't a point of absolutely this thing is or is not. But a lot of things in the world are subjective. So as you speak your truth, you walk your journey, and you discover more and more where you're wrong, and you learn more and more how to be right. But you, that first piece is you got to let them go. You're not going to wake the person up 
who's completely asleep because they don't want to be awake. And just like in the movie, they will kill you to defend their illusion. People get violent. When you actually force your way into the mind of an individual who's not ready for this discussion yet, and you actually begin to make headway, when they experience the cognitive distance, they get angry. I've seen it, and I've had to learn over the years because I'm a very, I, I make a very compelling case for things. And I very much want people to understand things they don't understand. I am a 100% teacher at heart. So I, I, I think I'm helping But it took me a long time to realize you can think you're helping, but you're not. And I've had conversations with people that seem like they're going the right way. They seem like they're awake. And they'll we'll get to one point, and you'll say one thing, and they get angry. And it's not even a thing about them. I remember talking to a relative one time about how society can break down. And when I told him, not what was going to happen, but what was happening in Argentina at the time, I had just had Fernando Aguirre on one of my episodes, and he said there were people in the streets right at that time. They were buying gold jewelry because it was one of the ways you could own gold, and they were making deals in commerce, and they would take a chain out, and they would make a deal, and they'd say, well, how many links of the chain? Like four links. And the guy would take a knife and break the fourth link and hand it to the guy as currency. And when I said this to this relative of mine, he ended the conversation in anger. Like, he didn't get mad at me. He just was mad, and he didn't want to talk about it anymore. Now, I didn't say it was going to happen here. I didn't infer that it was going to happen here. I just said, in situations like you are talking about, this was his subject he brought up, this is the kind of thing that happens. That cracked into a place for him that he wasn't ready to go yet. And he saw his fat state pension at risk, because this guy's a government employee. He saw everything he thought he was doing for society to be potentially a lie. He saw everything he thought would just be simple and comfortable for his family, all of that at risk in one flash moment. You might say that's not real rational. None of this is rational. And you never know what's going to chip away and open that, that cognitive absorption, right? That that point of understanding. But you do know this. If that person isn't ready, it's going to be a violent response. And I don't necessarily mean to start throwing fists. I mean, the voice is going to come up. Anger is going to happen. They're going to walk away. They turn red. Their heart rate goes up. They sweat. That's how scary this is to people. Because you've 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 nicked away the facade. And they're very quickly going to rebuild that facade. Very, very quickly they're going to rebuild that facade. And now they know they're vulnerable. So think about it. Have you ever maybe hurt your hand? Let's say your right, if your right hand, your right hand, your hand you shake hands with, and you've hurt it. Like the metal tar tarsals are sprained or something like that. Where if you shake somebody's hand, it's going to hurt. Like even if they don't really do that crushing grip, they just do a good standard firm, like it's going to hurt, and they reach to shake your hand. And before you, you're pulling your hand back, even though your hand wasn't really in any, because immediately you know that's going to hurt. Have you ever had an injury where you, you, you become very guarded? Like if you have a really bad scrape or something on your arm, you kind of really think about where you go because you know a little bitty bump is going to hurt it. You become defensive of that injury because it's in your best interest to not let something aggravate it. When you, pierce into somebody's mind about things not being super and they weren't ready they actually become more entrenched 
and they become more willing to defend that at any and all cost. In the face of it doesn't matter how many facts you give them, they won't do it. You have to accept that there's no way to fix this. You can only improve your life and work with the willing as they show up. That's all you can do. There is no answer. We want an answer. We want an answer. We want, hey, if everybody gets on board with this program or this philosophy, you know, if everybody became an anarchist, if everybody became an agorist, if everybody became a libertarian, right? If, any, if everybody got together and we, we, we built a resource-based economy or if we did, you know, I've heard so many things, term limits for Congress. Like, there's so many of these things like we think that if we did this thing, it would fix this problem. It doesn't matter the system we're in. There's three types of people. There's really three primary types of people in the world. There are people that want to control others. There are people that want to be controlled. And there are people that want to be left alone. And I would say that the people that want to be left alone, we are about an equal number with the people that want to control others. I think that both of us are a small percentage of society. The difference is, those of us who just want to be left alone, we do not seek power. And when we do seek power, it usually goes badly. And I'm not saying that Republicans don't want power, but they don't want it as badly as, as Democrats do, in general, right now, at this point in American history. And this is why Democrats get more done when they are in control than Republicans. Because those who do not want power probably shouldn't seek it. Because it will be used, the power they gain will be used against them. That's a hard thing to accept too. But so you've got this, this trichotomy, right? Of people that wish to, to control others, people that wish to be controlled, and people that want to be left alone. So what do the people that want to be left alone want to do? They want to have voluntary interactions with people. But they are a minority. You can't work with the people that want to control others. Because they want to control you too. And you can't get the people who want to be controlled to function independently and be part of what you're doing. So you're going to be lonely. I mean, we can build community and stuff like that, but in the end, you're going to, you're going to realize that the majority of people that you know and love do not want to be this way. They want to be controlled. It's the only reason that you can put children in desks in straight lines in school, 30, 40 kids to a room, Move them around like animals all day long, and it mostly works. Because most of them want to be controlled. The people that are the psychopaths and the sociopaths that want to control others are generally intelligent. And they soon realize, I can use this. I can use this. I can pretend to go along to get along. But I'm really going to position myself. To where I gain control in this game. I understand this is a game. I understand that all these people are cogs in a matrix. I understand that I'm not getting out. But I'm going to figure out how to be, you know, one of the controllers. I'm going to be, I might be a slave, but I will be a master slave. Right? That's, that's how these people are. Like, they'll accept some level of subservience to some other layer of the system. So that they can have that better level of control, moving up the social hierarchy, as you think of it. But they don't want to move up the social hierarchy solely through affluence and income. They want control. They go into professions 
that exert control over others. They go and they, they hugely pile into politics and bureaucracy and education because it's control. So that's a very small group, actually. And a lot of your teachers and all, they're not that. They just, well, seems like a good job. I like kids. I'll change the world for the better. And they, they, they're in that little matrix world. That's why you have all these people going to teaching, and the person that's like one of the worst teachers ends up being a principal or superintendent of the school. It's not because they're a good teacher. And I know, I know there are some good teachers that get into those positions, but by and large, no. It's the people that know how to work the system. It's called the iron law of bureaucracy. It was, it was coined by, the, 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 uh, the explanation was, was created by a guy named Jeffrey Pornell. The iron law of bureaucracy. In any organization, the people that are dedicated to the organization itself, rather than the mission of the organization, will assume positions of power, and they will, they will seek to grow the organization rather than to pursue the mission of the, of the organization. Paraphrasing a little bit, but that's basically it. And there's no way out of this. Because the people that become addicted to the power that comes by becoming more and more powerful in the group or the subset of the group, those people are that minority that want to control others. That's what they are. Period. And this leads us to a shitty conclusion. You're going to have to work with people who are still plugged in and will always be plugged in, and some of them will be psychopaths and most of them will be sheeps. Because there's more of them than you. On the sheep side, there's more of them than you. And the people who are the psychopaths are the ones that can get things done. And so you have to have this love-hate relationship on some levels with other people in the world because you need them. There's not enough of us. I always joke about creating the island of Jackistan or something like that. They probably have a pretty small population. Because most of us don't want to control other people. We don't want to be in positions of power. Do you? I, I'll tell you, I've never met somebody from this audience that's come to like a real, real in-life thing, where I've asked the question, would you like to be a senator or a member of the House of Representatives or a governor or a, even a mayor, where they've said, yeah, I would. Nobody wants it. Nobody, wants, nobody that wants to be left alone wants to be in the business of harassing other people. So we're going to have to deal with those other people because they outnumber us. It's hard to accept, but it, it, and you have to let them stay asleep or let them stay in control of their little fiefdom they've created for themselves. There are solutions, but they are individual and community-level solutions. There's no party, there's no ideology to change it all for the better. There are ideologies that you can adopt in your own life. There are ways of thinking, ways of processing information, codes of ethics. There are things like an anarchic, anarchist ethos, an agorist mindset, or something like a permaculture mindset. Those things are beneficial, and they will help others. But even in those subsets, there are incredibly rare people that really go into those subsets, there's still going to be a lot of people who are still half in, half out. And you got to let them be. Government is always trying to get more power, and you will never change that ever. This idea that someday we'll create a society where government will be so limited that people can live the way that they want to live without that government growing and overtaking the, the, the world that, that, that you're living in is fantasy. You'll see freaking time machines traveling into the world of the idiocracy before you see a world where government doesn't get bigger over time. 
and and this is this is a very hard thing to accept. If right now, by some stroke of luck, we're able to create a new Republic of the United States of America in its original dream and better form, a true republic with truly limited government, if we could go back and rewrite the Constitution to be so abundantly clear that we wouldn't be arguing about what the Second Amendment means, because we could even maybe throw the F word in there just to be totally effing clear. And you could get it all done. And you could create a government that is the most limited government that has ever existed since the dawn of the state. What you would get is a period of prosperity that you cannot imagine economically, but within 100 to 200 years, that same government would grow to become the most oppressive and controlling and bloated bureaucracy on the planet. And that is how we got here. Because at the time, despite all our flaws, there was no nation with as much liberty and freedom for most of the people than the United States of America. Or as they were known at the time, these states united. Now why does that happen? Because people are not good guardians. No, no. It wouldn't matter if they were. It might take a little longer. You'd get to the same place. The reason is when you create a state, when you, and, and, and this, this could be a case against the state, but there's going to be a state, so it doesn't matter. So you don't think I'm going back on my own advice here, right? When you create a state, for it to be a state, it must have some power, or it's not a state. There must be some authority. There must be some means by which force can be exerted, or you do not have a state. If everything's voluntary, and I can submit voluntarily to something like a certification to do business in a certain way with a certain group of people, like a gilding thing, Right, And I don't have to. I can go over here and have my own market. Maybe I can't get to do all the wonderful things inside their market they created for themselves, but I'm free to build my own. That's not a state. A state must be able to, by its very nature, by what it is, say, we have the power to take from you in the name of giving to you. And so they will have some power, some form of power to tax, some form to, ins- to make and enforce law, and no matter how many limits you place upon them, whatever power you give this entity we call the state, it will use that power to create another power. And it will use that power to create another power. And in time, it will create the power to undo the restriction. And the reason it will become like more oppressive than anything else you can come up with, instead of starting out with oppression, is truly oppressed societies economically, economically languish. They fail because money goes where it's treated well. So in creating this incredibly liberated society, you create the exact conditions necessary for economic achievement. And as that economic achievement begins to happen, two things occur. The psychopaths that are not predisposed to become, in, become government, they are predisposed to become oligarchs, become very, very, very successful very, very quickly. They build the largest, most successful economic operations you can think of. And they employ and thereby control millions of people collectively. Then the government itself, because it's taxing, even if it's very low taxes, they get lots of tax revenue because there's so much prosperity. I mean, if, if you wanted our government 
to be as successful as possible in, in, the, the, in regard to revenue from taxation, what you would do is you would get rid of all levies, taxes, duties, period, 100% across the board. You'd get rid of all of them. There'd be no income. I, I know you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. I got something for you. And then you would institute something like a 5% national sales tax. I'm not advocating for this, and this is part of today's lesson. Even if I was, it doesn't matter. No one's going to do what I say. Just relax. 5% national sales tax. The rate at which our economy would explode would boggle your mind. And that little 5% national sales tax would become a huge windfall to the federal government. And if they have more money... They can implement more programs, which need more governance and more control, so they exert more authority in your life. You could pay for all the things that they say they want to give you with something as stupid as a 5% sales tax for a time, at which point you would end up with a bloated bureaucratic corpse, a zombie government, which is kind of where we're headed today, but a zombie government that's very dangerous that wants to eat your brains. They might even create an educational institution designed to program your brain instead of eat it. That's where you're going to end up. And it's going to happen every time. All we have are times in history where we've seen a government fall, the rare instances where the power vacuum, instead of being filled by another dictatorship, are swept and changed into something far more free. And then the cycle repeats. Just like the Matrix. We've been here before. We're going to do it again. That's the world you live in. There's simply no winning here. You're not going to win. Your goal is not to win. I know that sounds crazy. But you know a word I haven't used yet? Lose. I didn't say because you're not going to win, you're going to lose. We have to stop thinking in binary code. Win and lose. No. Win would mean to me that all this goes away and I get total freedom. Not going to happen. In fact, win for me, since I want to be left alone and I want what I want for others would be, everybody gets total freedom. It's not going to happen. So my goal has to focus on not losing. Many years ago, back before I even started TSP, I met a gentleman named Val Razanov. And Val was a member of the Russian KGB. I ended up working with him. He was an incredible martial artist. We built some DVDs and things like that for him. We built him a website. We, we did like full on video production, lots of editing, just this great program to teach people the martial arts that the Russian special forces and the KGB learn, known as Sistema. And I spent a lot of time with this guy. He was an incredibly intelligent man. He had a childlike uh, exuberance at the same time. But I remember I was talking to him about the subject, though I didn't know that's what we were talking about at the time. And, and, and something came up, and we ended up talking about the philosophy that made the Soviets so dominant in the Olympic Games, especially in, like, combat sports. I mean, the Soviets had a dominance in that for, for decades. And sure, yes, some of it was that they had people, the athletes were like full-time athletes, etc., But what Val explained to me was they didn't teach, let's say, a boxer or someone competing in judo to win a match. They conditioned and taught them to survive during the match. And that if you survive long enough by focusing on not making mistakes and not being led by your opponent, 
and you are playing really kind of towards a stalemate, that sooner or later you frustrate your opponent or they become bored. And either way, they make a mistake, and by surviving, eventually the way to win presents itself, and you capitalize on it. And he said if there's anything that made the Soviets successful in sports, it was that more than anything else. Because, yes, they trained and they, you know, at a high level, and they had great coaches. So did everybody else. So did everybody else. But that philosophy was the difference maker. You have to adapt that philosophy to yourself. You have to think as a survivalist in this world and how to make your life a little bit better individually. And then by winning in the eyes of others, because winning to us again is overcoming all this shit. You overcome it for yourself. Then you start to shine like a light and people, people who are waking up come to you. And that's how you build community. What you think, these are all things you have to accept, by the way. What you think won't affect what happens. So many people see, I, I see this and it's so bizarre. Like, well, if I, like they actually act as if they change the way they think. Bad things will happen. If they stop watching the news, bad things will happen. Because you tell them, like, stop watching the news. And they're like, oh, oh my God. Like, well, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think you watching the news is somehow controlling the situation? And I know that sounds ridiculous, but people think so. They don't. Like, if you actually make it that cut and dry, they say no. But I'll explain how this works. It's mysticism, like Vin Armani talks about in a, in a lot of ways. Have you ever been watching a football game, for instance? And if not, insert your thing of choice here. And your team's trying to kick a field goal, right? And that ball is headed and it's got the distance and it could go either way. It could go just inside the upright. It could go just outside the upright. Hell, it could hit the upright. It's And it's going to hit, let's say, the, the as you're looking at it, the right upright. And you and all your buddies watching this game are doing what? With your hands. Oh, pushing to the left. As though some mystical force is going to go across the waves of your TV screen and shove that ball. Your collective desires will make that ball go just one foot to the left. The three points will go on the board. Your team wins by one. Yay, we won even though you're not on the team. Now, I know that if I sit down and rationally ask you if you really think that's going to happen, you're going to say no, unless you've got some real mental defects. But you, in your heart, believe it a little bit. Or you wouldn't do it. You would just sit there and go, ah, okay, it's in. Ah, it went out. Bums. Right? That's what, that would be it. The reason we do these things, the reason like when we're watching a, a combat sport, like an MMA, and, and our guy's about to land a right, and you, you, you kind of like throw your right, like you get a little jab, like, yeah, get him. Like, because in your mind there's a connection between your observation of the thing and the thing itself. There is no actual connection. It's all internal. It's all in your mind. You've created it for yourself. But if that happens in something like sports, well, we clearly know better. We clearly know better. It happens definitely in things that are more relevant in our lives, at least we believe they are, like taxes, like potential war. We feel some weird level of control by watching the news. 
by paying attention, by knowing what's going on. Go on, by being informed. You know, I like to be informed too. Do you know why? So I can figure out what investment to make next. So I can figure out where to position my life for when this collective delusion does whatever it's going to do next. But I am under no misconceptions that I influence the delusion. None. I talk to a quarter million people and I have no real effect on what's going to happen in the world. None. What I have effects on are the people that willingly listen, to choose to use what I bring you, to determine what you want to use for yourself and what the Jeet Kune Do it. I always tell people, never blindly follow anybody, including me. You take from what I give you what is useful, you apply it, you use it, and you make your life better. That's what I want for you. I know I don't control that. I want it for you. I don't, I don't demand that you do it that way. If you accept that, what will happen is you will realize that exactly that can happen for you. You can look at this and see what people are going to do and figure out what to do for yourself. When it comes to freedom with COVID, if you don't know now, I don't know that you ever will. There are places where there's going to be a half a modicum of common sense in the way they handle this, and there are places, I shit you not, they will still be telling you it is not safe to go outside in 2022. And if you're living there, you either need to figure out how to make it not affect you, or you need to get the hell out of there. Like, you're not going to have New York or Michigan or Washington or California suddenly change their mind about this. They're not going to open, like, the numbers one day and look at the numbers and go, yeah, you know, yeah, we need to stop doing this. We need to admit we were wrong. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So you already know this. So what are you going to do about it? See, are you going to go call your brother and tell him he's wrong? Are you going to call your brother who said he's going to get vaccinated and give him 20 reasons not to get vaccinated? Do you think it's going to work? All you going to do is damage your family relationship. If he wants to know, the information is there. If he doesn't want to know, nothing you say is going to change it. And you've got to expand that beyond your brother to all the humans on the planet. We are not changing this, and we do not influence it by looking at it. This is not biocentrism at a political level. You turning off Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever it is for two weeks and not looking at it, nothing in the world is going to happen any differently because you didn't look at it. And unless what you're getting from it is meaningful and useful in your life, don't look at it. Don't bother. Don't worry about it. Here's my final thoughts on this. I woke up today trying to figure out what I wanted to talk to you about. And I started thinking about how many of these conversations that I'm having with other influencers behind the doors right now. We're talking about things we can do to help people. And I realized some of them, I don't know if I can do it. I can't. I don't know if I can work with them on it. Because I think their expectations are wrong. I don't mean wrong as moral. I mean wrong as in potentially possible. I think there's a lot of people out there in this space right now that really think we're on this verge of this mass awakening of people. And I know that we're not. My goal has always been to work with the remnant, to work with the willing, to work with the people that say, I get it. I've been through it. I had my moment where I thought we were going to change everything, and now I know we're not. I'm going to change everything for me. Because if we ever are going to make a massive impact on the world, that's how it's going to be done. Every second that you spend thinking about how to get someone else to do something is the second you don't spend doing it. The people that ask me the most about, you know, how do I spread preparedness to my brother? 
I guarantee if I go to their house, they're the least prepared people out there. Because they're so worried about what somebody else is doing, they're not doing it for themselves. They're the people that I... Somebody phrased it this way one time, and it was about a listener of my show, but it wasn't my opinion. It was his brother. Somehow I ended up knowing this guy's brother. And he said, I'll tell you something about my brother. He's the guy that tells you how much you need smoke detectors while his house is on fire. And there's so much of that in the world. And it's not because people are bad. It's not because people are stupid. It's because people genuinely want to help others. And they're not sure how to do things for themselves. And they really believe they can't get it done unless somebody does it with them. You've got to start thinking about building the life you want. Like you just found a hill, a really steep hill. It takes two hours to get to the top of, about two hours to get back down. But you can do it. On the top of that hill, there's literally lumps of gold laying all over the place. And you know that no matter how many trips you take, you're never going to get all of it. And other people are starting to take some of it anyway. And you also, you've done the math, you know, if I take a certain number of trips, I'm going to have enough of this that I can live the way I want for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be able to make enough trips to do that, right? And I'm going to have what I want. And everything's going to be fine if I just do this thing. All I have to do is just ignore everything for the next two weeks and make three trips a day with as much as I can carry down without getting myself hurt, without fighting anybody for it. They can have whatever. There's tons of it up there. You being a good person might tell your brother, Hey, Bill, guess what? I found all this gold up on top of the hill. And Bill's going to be like, you're freaking nuts. And you say, no, look. And you show him a handful of gold coins. And he goes, ah, you must have stole that. You'll know it's free. It's a you would do that for a couple minutes. And you'd say, you know what, Bill? If you want to know how to get to the top of the hill, you got my number, text me. Bye. And you go up the hill. And you go keep doing it until you got enough to build the life you wanted. That's how this all works. You put the things in place that you need to put in place to live life on your own terms. And you start living life that way. And sooner or later, somebody will say, hey, how do I do that too? And maybe the particular hill that you got your gold on is kind of cleaned out now. Maybe that, maybe you can still do it, but it's not as easy. You got to hunt a little bit at the top. Sounds a lot like a cryptocurrency market is turning into, right? But in the end, that person's not giving you permission. You can help them. That's it, guys. That's the world we live in. I'm not trying to wake up anybody anymore. The biggest thing, though, is I figured out it was never possible in the first place. If you'd asked me back in 2014, Jack, does TSP and its community and your show red pill people? I would have proudly said yes, and I would have been absolutely wrong. We don't red pill anybody. People red pill themselves. All we do is provide the support when they wake up in that tub of goo. And at any point, before they get all the goo out of their hair, take a shower, and unplug the, the cord, they can go back to sleep. And if you push too hard, you might actually push them back in. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you guys, if you like this show and the work that we do, and you want to help support our show, one of the ways you can do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I've got a new old item for you today. How's that work? Well... It's just, I brought you tons of stuff by Anchor before, and I've brought you tons of their Power Core backup portable chargers. And they had a really great one for a while with an aluminum case 
that was in the 10,000 milliamp hour range was really, really affordable, and they've discontinued it. So I was going to run that one today, and when I tried to find it, it was gone. So I was like, well, I know Anchor, and when they get rid of something, they usually replace it with something that's a little bit better. They have now the PowerCore Slim. It's a 10,000 milliamp hour portable charger. It's not as big as some of the, like the Astro E7 is my favorite. That thing's like two old-school laptop batteries fused together, though. It's huge. This thing's small. It's lightweight. It's about as thick as a typical cell phone. It's a little bit more narrow, but a little bit longer than a typical cell phone. I'd say it's like two decks of playing cards stuck together end to end, and maybe a little thinner than that. Maybe like maybe like you take a deck of cards and take the cards out, cut them, and then stick them together end to end without shuffling them. It's about that size. But that will charge an iPhone 12 2.3 times. So even a, a, your standard typical cell phone will give you two full charges from the from zero. That's a lot of backup power, and the thing's on sale today for 18 bucks. Um, in some ways, I think that you know, with a with an Astro E7 being somewhere in the neighborhood of like almost 60 bucks, three of these it's a little bit more, and you've got three that can go to three different places. And if one breaks or wears out, you still have two. It might be a better way to go in some instances. I wanted to say something else too about the Anchor PowerCore stuff. I've had quite a few people ask me, do you know a charger like this that, that has pass-through charging? And what they mean is, I want to plug this thing in for it to fill up, and then I want to plug my phone into it, and I want to charge pass-through charging. I, I don't really know any of them that work that way, and I don't think it's really necessary or even that useful. Personally, the way that I manage mine in my vehicle, which I, I really don't do this anymore because I'm just not in the vehicle as much anymore. Mine's sitting right behind me plugged into the wall. Um, but when I did use my vehicle a lot more, I would take my backup charger, and I'd plug it in. And I'd take my phone, plug it in separately. And the, the, the charger always stayed fully charged. And if I needed the, char the, the, the backup package, grabbed it. And the way you do that, you get a nice little, you know, if you don't have multiple existing uh, USB ports in your vehicle, you just get a, you know, a splitter that goes into your 12-volt VDC. That's how I do it, and that's what I really recommend. Um, That also means that that pack is basically going to be charged and just stay charged. It's going to have very little cycling, and that means it's going to last longer than if you're constantly draining it and reusing it. So you get more longevity. I think the oldest Anchor PowerCore backup pack that I have right now is like six years old, and it still works flawlessly. Uh, I love Anchor. I think this is a great product, and I wanted you to know about it. Remember, you can always support us, though. No matter what you buy, all you got to do is start your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, let's wrap things up with our song of the day today. I'm not going to have long segments today on the music. I'm just going to tell you what the song is, uh, because the whole week, we're doing 420 week. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, I know. And some of you are like, what the hell's that? 420 is basically, um, I think it's a code. It's a legal code for marijuana or something like that in California or something, or was the law that legalized it? I don't, 420 is something synonymous with marijuana. And so on 420, if you partake, you partake on 420, right? So tomorrow's 420, and John Adam just came up with a bunch of songs that fit, we're going to call it 420 week, because a week's better than a day. This one's, I think it's the oldest song we have for you this week. It's from the 60s. It's by a band called The Coasters, and it's called Let's Get Stoned. With that's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Yeah.
Won't you sing it one more time, children? Get it. Oh. 